Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode seven. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I am really happy you're back to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. It is great to have you here. I know you have a lot of valuable ways to spend your time, and I'm really excited you're with me now, so I'm going to make today awesome for you. I'm really excited about today's topic. Today, we're going to talk about how to change your language to change your relationship. And I'm going to give you my top five tips for this. As always, you get great takeaways when you listen to my podcast, things to, you know, have on the other side to really use. And I've spent so much time when I work with couples, uh, and really when I work with the executives I work with too, everybody, you know, in my own relationship and with my children, everywhere else, I really spent a lot of time talking about language, our language that we use. Now, we definitely uh, sometimes say things, especially to our kids, right, about, well, don't say that or don't use those words or, you know, you ask that nicer or whatever it is. You know, we, we tend to do a lot of that when they're young, but it seems to stop and it definitely seems to stop with adults a lot. And we have become a society so big on words. Obviously, words have always been around and uh, have always been our primary source of communication, but especially with the level of what we're writing these days and how quick and easy everything is to communicate, uh, we've become, I believe, lazier and care- more careless, which is creating a lot of misunderstandings and confusion and problems in relationships. So we think about it. You All day long, you are talking tweeting, posting, texting, emailing. There's words, just you're talking on the phone. If you're old school, you're having conversations with people. We, uh, The amount of information that is spoken, again, written, any way that we use words is huge. And literally, literally thousands of words fly out of our mouths and fingertips daily. There were some uh, studies at the University of Arizona a couple years ago 
And they found that we speak about 16,000 words per day. By the way, there's no statistical difference between how much men speak and women speak. And as a matter of fact, they found that men speak a bit more. They have longer conversations and more words uh, when they do speak. So I just want to say that the these new studies have really debunked the idea that women speak more than men, but I'm not spending my time on that today. Uh, so, and it's estimated that we likely write another 2,000 words per day. So, depending on your age, your employment, you know, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, my my mom, who's in her late 80s, um, will kill me for saying that. Let's say her 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 late 70s. Um, she doesn't really text or email or do any of that other stuff. And so all of her words really these days are pretty spoken. She has very few written words. But if I took my uh, 12-year-old daughter and all the texting and other stuff she might do or writing for school and all the other things, ways that she does that, there's certainly a lot more words that are written. So you get the idea. So the average is supposed to be about 2,000, again, per average adult. So let's just say that everybody listening to this right now is expressing approximately 18,000 words per day. Now, I want you to think about how many times during the day you take the time to think before you express yourself, before you talk, tweet, post, reply to an email, whatever. So from my experience, and the research would really support me on this, by the way, I can tell you that it's doubtful you pay much attention to the vast majority of what you say the vast majority. Now, here's a problem with that. Your words, and I mean all of your words, they matter. And I get that in texting now, you know, TTYL, you know, (laughs) we, we, BTW, we, we use letters instead of spelling things out. You know, we've really become a, a shorthand society. And Again, there's kind of a carelessness sometimes around just kind of throwing things out there, putting it out and not really thinking till later. What you say to other people every day creates the tone and the basis of all your relationships. That makes sense, right? Come on, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or, you know, a PhD to figure that out. So think about it. If you're, you know, snapping at folks and judgmental when you're at work, that's going to show up in those relationships. If you're always exhausted and don't want to talk when you get home at the end of the day, that's going to show up in those relationships. You you get the idea. However you're expressing yourself all around is what you're going to see day to day in the quality of your relationships. And for sure, we know this, that your level of satisfaction and happiness in your life right now is directly based on the level of satisfaction and happiness in your relationships. Get that? Your communication in those relationships is at the core of how successful, think happy, you are. So why aren't you paying more attention to all the words you're using in all these different relationships, especially, obviously, your romantic ones? So, you know, as I was researching this topic, because I have all these great tips and I really wanted to have all the good stats for you, but as I was researching it, I came across this paper it was on language and social behavior by this guy, uh, Robert Krauss of Columbia University. And I'm going to say this name wrong, but Chi Yu Chu of the University of Hong Kong. I hope I said your name right, Chi. Uh, and they say that acts of speaking can be regarded as actions intended to accomplish a p- specific purpose by verbal means. Now, I know that sounds kind of wordy, but think about it. Acts of speaking 
are actually actions intended to accomplish something specific by verbal means, meaning by speaking. That every time you speak, you've got a specific purpose in mind, otherwise known as what? An agenda. Now, maybe you want to assert something so that others you know, think you're knowledgeable about a certain topic. Maybe you need information, so you ask a question. Maybe, I don't know, you're uncomfortable and need something to change, so you make a request. Maybe you feel lonely, so you reach out to connect. Maybe you're angry or resentful, so you say something with the intention of hurting the other person. You know you've done this. Maybe you don't want to miss dinner, so you text to check on what time everybody's sitting down. Whatever it is, there are often lots of agendas. There's always, I shouldn't say often, there's always some form of agenda when you are communicating with someone else. Again, be that uh, direct face-to-face dialogue or a post, a tweet, text, whatever. You have a specific purpose you want to accomplish, and the problem is that you often don't even realize this. So in some ways you do. You're thinking, well, I don't want to miss dinner. I'm hungry, so I'm going to check in. But a lot of times we, you know, you think you're in the cockpit actively steering that plane of yours, but the majority of the time you're running on autopilot and autopilot is our unconscious, right? It's our subconscious. That's our autopilot. It's really our subconscious doing the work. And the problem with this is that there's a huge problem when we think about our unconscious or our intuitive nervous system or or sort of what we think of as almost our intuition, what's behind everything, and our conscious mind, you know, our our rational thinking, uh, the thing we know we're doing, (laughs) what we know we're doing. And um, there's a really great book called The Sweet Spot by uh, happiness expert Christine Carter. I highly recommend this book. And she says in that book, she talks about how our unconscious knowledge is just shockingly powerful and far more extensive really than our conscious knowledge. Our conscious brain processes, get this, so your conscious brain processes information at a rate of about 50 bits per second. Well, your unconscious, again, or that intuitive nervous system of yours, processes information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. I'm going to tell you why I'm telling you all this in a second, all right? (laughs) But this is huge. Think about this. 50 50 bits per second versus 11 million bits per second. So when you think you're just saying something to your partner, you've got two things going on. First, you might be thinking you have one motivation for saying something when actually there's another, an unconscious motivation. No, I wasn't trying to make him feel stupid. I was just letting him know that he mistakenly said exasperate when he meant to say exacerbate. I just heard this the other night from a client. I said, really? Her husband got really angry at her because she corrected his language. It was right in the session. And and I, you know, I stopped her and I said, why did you do that? You know, we knew what he meant. I, I knew what he meant. I knew he meant exacerbate. Exacerbate means to make something worse, right? To make it worse. And the way he was using it in a sentence, it was pretty clear. But he said exasperate. And I've heard people do this before. And she stopped him in mid-flow, mid-sentence, and corrected him. And I use that as a learning opportunity for the two of them because clearly, because she said, well, I just want him using the right word. I don't want him to look stupid. And I said, no, this wasn't about him that you did this. This is about you. And we actually, when we got to it, 
she said he said that before in front of people and she's been embarrassed. She's been embarrassed because he, he sounded, she said he sounded stupid, that he didn't know the right word to use. And she felt like that reflected poorly on her. This took some digging. I'm giving you a uh, Reader's Digest version here. But, you know, we spent a bit of time in the session on this. And she also, you know, kind of likes to stick it to him. And this was her little way of sticking it to him. That's unconscious motivation. She was thinking she was doing something helpful in her conscious mind, but really right below the surface was a a completely different thing. Now, second thing to keep in mind is that your partner's unconscious mind is picking up on all kinds of things and interpreting whatever information you're giving into their conscious mind. And this is how we kind of, you know, just know or have a feeling we end up saying things like, well, he said X, but I know he meant Y. You know, she told me this, but I know she really meant this. And we go there because sometimes, and we're very wrong sometimes, because again, our unconscious mind doesn't mean that it picks up all the right things, but it's because we have these feelings because of what uh, this unconscious is picking up on. And again, processing at 11 million bits per second versus our measly little conscious mind only processing at 50 bits per second. This is, this is huge. So if you don't think before you speak, all that unconscious crap rises to the surface and comes out in your language. Makes sense, right? It, it doesn't, again, take a rocket scientist to figure this out. So if you're feeling resentful, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, impatient, overwhelmed, anxious, any of that, guess what? This comes out in your language and others pick up on it, of course. So I would say that the probably the number one, and I've said this over and over, but complaint I hear from couples is we just don't communicate. And I always say the same thing to them. Oh, you communicate all the time. You're just communicating all the wrong things. You're communicating all that resentment, your anxiety, your irritability. Everyone is picking up on what's underneath the surface. So if you want to start communicating more effectively, you got to start working at the very least on your language, on what's on top, on this, you know, what you're giving to people. Because as you talk, as you just say something, remember that unconscious is picking up on all the little pieces. So when you just say that one quote unquote wrong word, one word that's a little off, your true meaning is picked up by that unconscious of the other person and it's interpreted. And there you go. We're off to the races with misunderstandings, miscommunications, again, that resentment, all that build of frustration, irritability, all the good stuff. So we want to get rid of all that crap, right? It's not good stuff. Hello. So with all that in mind, with, when you're thinking of all these things, uh, I want to give you my top five tips for how to change your language so you can have more effective communication in your, rela- in your relationship. And this will be in my show notes. I'll have a little uh, quick, you know, kind of cheat sheet thing or, on here, or you can just look in the show notes and it'll be there. Uh, but because we, we got to, you got to understand the stuff and you might be driving right now and I don't want you to like, you know, start, try to write things down. Okay. So you can get it later on the show notes. Always go to abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast. Uh, this is number seven, all about language and you will find it there. So let's talk about our first tip today. So my first tip is one of my favorites and that's to get rid of all or nothing language. When I talk about all or nothing language, what this basically means is I want you to stop saying the words always or never when you speak to anybody really, but especially, especially to your partner. Do not utter the words 
you always X, or you never Y, you always nag me, you never give me a chance to speak, you're always telling me that what I'm doing is wrong, you never like the way I clean, right? Whatever that is. When we use that language, so here's the big problem. It's not true. The, the other person doesn't always or never. That, that, that's a, life doesn't work that way. They don't always or never. So because it's not true, that's a problem. And the person you're talking to knows it's not true. They know it. And here's what they're doing. And you, you do it the other way, just for the record, but you forget this when you're using the language. Let's say you say to your partner, you always nag me, or you never let me finish my sentences, something like that. Those are two I just heard this week. The other person is immediately thinking of all the times they didn't nag you and did let you finish a sentence. So even if you don't remember that, they do. And in the end, they're going to dismiss what you're saying but completely because, in effect, you're, you're lying. You're overgeneralizing. You're exaggerating, being melodramatic. Their words, not mine. These are the things I hear all the time. So when you, when you get in that, that way, and here's the other big problem is that when you're in your head thinking, my wife is always nagging me, really you start to look for that all the time. You start to look for all the nagging. Now, there's something else going on, which I've talked about before. I'm going to repeat again here, and you'll hear it again if you hear my podcast, called your RAS, or Reticular Activating System. And your RAS is this uh, little lever between your conscious and subconscious mind. So it, it works back and forth between these two areas of your brain. And your RAS is the reason that you notice things sometimes. For example, your name getting called. If you hear your name, if you're in a crowded room and you hear your name, you, you're, you pick up on that and you, you look up and you see. Now, there's a lot of people named Abby in the world, so sometimes I'll look up you know, many times. And you'll do it too. Because your RAS, this unconscious part of your brain, is always, there's kind of these certain words that it's really keyed in to look for. Now, depending on, and your name is one of them, right? Well, depending on what else you think about, the same thing could happen. And I've used the example before about a car. If you ever have ever bought a new car, you will see, you buy that car, and you will see it friggin' everywhere. Everywhere you look, you'll see that car all of a sudden. And you're thinking, oh my God, everybody in the world has a gray Nissan Pathfinder or a black convertible BMW or a yellow Honda Accord. I don't know. Whatever you drive, whatever you roll in, you will see it everywhere. And that is because of your RAS. It picks up. It gets this direction really from your conscious mind. Your conscious mind says, oh, I'm going to buy a new car. Let me think about that a lot. Let me look it up on Craigslist. Let me uh, look it up. On, on Kelly Blue Book. Let me research it. Let me do all this stuff. And it, your unconscious mind picks up on that and goes, oh, I should be looking for a yellow Honda. Let me keep my eye out. <laughs> and so it's always looking and therefore sees things that otherwise would have missed. I always share that when I was pregnant, I, every time I was pregnant, I swear to God, the entire world was pregnant. <laughs> and I would look around going, wow, there's like a population explosion right now. Every woman in the world is pregnant. I swear, I don't think I ever see pregnant women anymore. It's very rare anyway. I see them occasionally, but not very often. And But every time I was pregnant, it was very different. I saw them everywhere. It's because, again, this sort of little message from your brain. Now, you have this. If you're thinking, my partner's always nagging me, you always nag me, you never let me finish my sentence, guess what? Your RAS picks up on that. 
And it starts looking for your partner nagging you or for your partner not letting you finish a sentence or for your partner being a jerk or for your partner drinking if you're focused on their drinking or whatever it is that you like to focus on. That RAS will pick up on it and go, oh, there it is again and again and again. It'll, It'll help you prove yourself right. It likes to do that. So it'll help you do that. So the more you use that language, the more wired that gets in your neural pathways, your the the more we say that what fires together, wires together. So the more you fire something, the more you talk about it, the more you um, think about it, the more you let your mind sit on it, the more those neural pathways are going to get entrenched in your brain and you're going to see it more and more and more. So you don't want to use this language always, never. Again, it's not true. And it will help, it'll gear you to start looking for the negative instead of the positive. It'll gear you towards these bad things, and you don't want that in your world. So get rid of that right away. If anything, you can maybe think to yourself about the times your partner did do it, the times they did let you finish a sentence or or didn't nag you about, you know, putting away the dishes. Then you can maybe think to yourself, oh, what was happening during those times that that didn't happen? Was that something I did different? Was that something about my partner that was different? Like, what was that? Try to problem solve a little bit instead of just going right into, oh, he always does X or he never says Y. Just, you know, really start to pull yourself back. Okay. So that's that was number one for how to communicate better by really noticing your language, really notice not doing that, okay? So even if, if it's often that they do it, you can say that, but don't say, oh, you always or you never. All right. Number two, no more buts. I, this is a big one. If you do nothing else, do this one. So it's really simple but super powerful. Stop using the word but completely, and I do mean B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. I don't mean your bum. You can talk about your ass all you want. I'm talking about the word but. <laughs> this, you know, not this, but that. I'm talking about that. Start using the word and. So saying anything like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I think X, but I think da-da-da, just negates everything the other person said and means you don't actually hear what they're saying at all, right? Well, you might hear it, but you're not listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It means that while they were talking, you were thinking of your rebuttal. That's what you were doing. That's what but is. It's a rebuttal. No matter how you use it, that word but means you don't believe or agree with what your partner is saying and you're rejecting it. Okay? That, that's all it means. You can, you can like to think it's something else. It's not. So, you know, 
yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I was thinking this and da da da. It all your partner hears is the butt and that you just said never mind, that's all bullshit and now I'm moving on. So it's a big problem. One of an even worse rendition of this, I just want to go off on a little tangent for a second. <laughs> of using but is saying something like, don't take this the wrong way, but, oh my gosh, really? Seriously? Don't ever say that. Stop that. Stop it. Cut it out. There, I can't think of too many things worse to say to a person. How do you ever expect a conversation with that sentence to go well? Really? It's not going to go well. It's clearly a criticism. Nobody likes to be criticized. Don't even start. Don't even go there. Don't take this the wrong way. But And don't say, don't take this the wrong way, and. <laughs> That's not going to work either. Um, because I do want you using the word and. So anything's going to be dismissed that you say after the word but. And you put your partner on the defensive, right? No matter what. So using the word and means that you agree, or at least at the very least that you hear what your partner is saying, and you've got something to add to the conversation. And is an add to the conversation. So just saying something like, well, I hear what you're saying, and I was thinking X, just listen to that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but it just, even the tone of my voice changes without even trying because I know where it's going. It's going down. When you say, and actually your voice kind of lilts up and it sort of draws the listener up and in to whatever you're talking about. So, and I really hope you believe the end. I hear what you're saying and make sure that you're telling the truth. Do you hear what they're saying? Are you listening? Are you just thinking about what you want? Or are you trying to really hear what they're saying and figure out how to get to a new solution with you having a different way of seeing it? How how can that be? It comes across completely differently. It definitely opens up the conversation to some back and forth dialogue, which whether you realize this or not, is what you're looking for. You don't want it to just get down to, you know, the, the, but yeah, this, but that, and your, your lawyers both arguing your case until you wear the other person down. That's not building towards anything. And one of the things I try to, I always remind couples of is that when you're talking to someone, don't think of it as a line. It's very easy to be very linear when you're talking to your partner, right? You talk, they talk, they talk, you talk. It's back and forth. It's a line, isn't it? Well, when you think about having a disagreement on that line, so here you are on a line. I'm on one side. You're on the other side of a line. Now, if we were on a ruler and you were at one and I was at 12, right, a, a, a one-foot ruler, a 12-inch ruler, you'd think, um, we're disagreeing about something. What most couples think is, oh, well, we have to come in towards the middle, towards a six, right, towards something that's a compromise, a negotiation, somewhere in the middle. What happens with that is everybody loses because no one's happy. Trust me, you think you compromise more than your partner did, and they think they compromise more than you did, and people are resentful and angry, and this is not the way to go. Instead, I want you to get out of thinking of your relationship as a line, and I want you to start thinking of your relationship as a triangle. And you guys are each at one of the bases of the triangle, and you're both looking up towards the top. You're both looking up towards that top point of the pyramid. And that's where your solution lies. So both of you coming together to something new, something else, and the and, not the but, but the, instead the and, where can you both meet 
that's somewhere new that we haven't even thought of before, that we, we didn't even think of. Because along that line, you can think about what all the solutions are. You can think about what all the answers are because it's all the things in the middle. But what if it was a whole new solution? What if it was a whole new way of thinking about it? So instead of getting into that kind of back and forth of, you know, my husband needs to pick up his socks. He leaves dirty socks around all the time. I'm sick of it. He's got to learn to put them in the hamper. And you've been arguing about the damn hamper for, I don't know, the last eight years of your 12-year marriage. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And you're just arguing about this hamper, and, and you see it as a one, one or the other. He puts them in or he doesn't. End of story. I would say to you, again, think of a new solution. I don't know. Hire a cleaning lady to come in every day and pick up the damn socks. Train your dog to pick up socks. Only buy your husband sandals. Don't buy him any more socks. If you don't buy him, he probably won't have them. Uh, yeah, train your dog to retrieve socks and put them in a drawer. Train, uh, tell your children they have to run around and pick up socks. I there's 50 other answers besides that your husband has to either pick them up or not. There's other ways to get to where you're going, but you don't think of any of those things because it, you, you're on that line. And he's on that line too, going, God, I do so much. I work all the time. I'm this, I'm that. Why does she care so much about my damn socks? And it becomes a power struggle over the stupid socks when it's got nothing to do with socks, as we all know. But you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not his maid and I'm sick of this. And he's like, you know, I, I, I don't understand why the socks are such a big deal. Why can't she let anything go? She's so uptight. I don't know. I'm making this up, but I know it sounds familiar to some of you. So really think this through. Get getting Changing this language, really adding the and, the possibilities, what could be next. Okay. Let's go to number three. All right. So this is your third way for how to change your language so you can have more effective communication in your relationship. So number three, nothing is good or fine. I hate good or fine. I hate it. I, I don't like this answer. <laughs> when you ask someone how they're doing and they say good, well, what's going on? Is there anything going on? No, nothing. It's fine. Ugh. So we say in counseling world that fine stands for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. I know, kind of funny, right? Uh, It's just the worst answer ever. And it doesn't help your relationship ever to have these. For you to say it, for your partner to say it. It doesn't, it's not descriptive. It doesn't help us know if we're on a good side or a bad side, a positive or a negative, a healthy or an unhealthy. It doesn't give us anything. It is the... It's the big average in the world. It is the big just stuck point. And what happens when you use that language is you're letting your partner know that you're just really not that interested in whatever they're saying. You you can't even come up with a friggin' emotion, a real one. Really? That's where we're at? That's where we're at in this relationship? It shows such laziness and just not mindlessness and not caring. I said it. I said it to you. Now, don't get me wrong. I've said good and fine myself, so I'm calling myself out also. But anyway... So think about all the other words, mad, glad, happy, bored, content, overwhelmed, thoughtful, con- uh, uh, shy, anxious. I, I, I could go on. There's a hundred other feelings. What's with good or fine? They don't help. So these are what I call communication killer words, good or fine, or the shoulder shrug. I don't know. It's fine. I don't know. It's fine. What, here's what I like to do instead of that. Uh, what I like to do or what I want you to do, how's that? What I want you to do instead, instead of, and if you, so you can ask someone, Hey, how you doing? Or how was your day at work? Whatever. And if you get that or what happened today and you get that nothing or it's good, it's fine. When you get that response, you can push it. So instead you can say on a scale of one to six, 
what number would you give for how you feel right now? Okay. What number would you give for how you feel right now? Six means you're super excited and one means you hate this, whatever it is. One means you're, you're annoyed, disgusted, irritated, frustrated, whatever word you want to use there. Now, here's the trick. So by giving an even-numbered scale like this, one to six, it forces the other person to come down on one side or the other. So in other words, if I said on a scale of one to five, how are you feeling? Five is great. One is you know horrible. They can just say three. Three is the numerical equivalent of good or fine, right? It's right in the middle. It doesn't really say anything. It gives you no information. So instead, when you say one to six or one to eight or one to 10, have, you just pick an even number. You, I wouldn't do one to two or four because it doesn't really give you much. But six is kind of one of my favorites. It kind of pushes a little bit, but it's not too broad. It really helps you push, it really helps you understand how someone's feeling because it pushes them to choose on the quote unquote good or bad side. They, there is no three, there is no middle, there is no scale of one to 10 doesn't work because there's a five, you know, right? You can't have the, the scale one to nine, sorry. <laughs> five, five wouldn't be bad because it would, it, it's still in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. You don't want anything that has a direct middle. That's what you're trying to avoid. So think about, um, having them give you something where you can really f- think that you got an answer. So if I say four, um, right? If I give a four in this case of the one to six, uh, clearly I'm more towards liking whatever you were talking about. If I picked three, I was more towards hating it. So I might not be completely there, but I'm leaning in that direction. And this really does give you more information about the other person. And you can use this at work. You can use this with your kids. I use it everywhere. It's just a really helpful way to sort of push people who are maybe uncomfortable with actually saying a feeling. A lot of people, when you're talking about feelings, hey, how you feeling? They don't even know feelings. I know that for myself when I was young and I didn't have any, I had, I had, my only feelings were really happy, uh, and I'm a recovering drug addict, so most people know that means I was high, or uh, ang- maybe sad. I don't think I ever got angry, really. I didn't get angry very much. So I was kind of like depressed or sad or happy. That's all I had. And I can, I tell people, I remember being in a drug, in drug rehabs, what they do is they make you go around and uh, share a feeling, right? So <laughs> in the beginning of a group, like they'll do like kind of a process group and they'll say, okay, everybody go around, say your name and one feeling. And I used to hate this. Oh, I would just dread. And I'd always seat myself in a way. So I wasn't, uh, too close to the person leading the group. So if you're, cause if you're right next to them on either side, they might start with you. And if you're kind of directly across from them, they might look at you and start with you. So instead I would always sit just like 25 degrees to the left or the right of them, really out of their eyesight, the peripheral eyesight. It was perfect because what would happen is they would start the group and people would go around with their feelings and I would copy what someone else said. So they'd go around and, you know, hi, I'm, I'm, Tina and I feel shy and I think, oh, shy, that's a good one. Or someone else would say that they were feeling irritated and I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And I would just copy what someone else said because I had no freaking clue how I felt about anything. It, I just didn't know. I only knew those two. So this, I think, happens to a lot of people and I am better now, I want to say, after years of therapy and doing all the work I do, but uh, I, can, I can identify a feeling now. But regardless, most people, or I shouldn't say most, a lot of people really can't. When you ask them how they're feeling, they just will stare at you. And so you either need to print out one of those little things from the internet with all the little faces on it that have all the little faces with all the feeling words below it. That's fine. Or do the scale of one to six. That works too. 
And that way you can at least have an idea of where they're leaning, even if they don't have a word for how they're feeling. But you're going to have more information. You're going to really start to be able to connect. And then you can ask some questions, right? Then you can start to really connect with someone when you have better information. So there you go. All right. Number four, let's get to the next one. So the fourth way that you can change your language so you can have more effective communication in a relationship is, and I love this, this is not mine, this is not something I made up, but I love it, don't should all over yourself or masturbate. I heard this way back, um, gosh, somewhere in, like my after my bachelor's, like so I must have been in my early 20s, and I've loved it ever since. Um, I think I've heard people quote Virginia Satir on this. I have no idea who this is, but if someone knows, you can uh, leave a comment at the end of the podcast and let me know who originally said that. So really what it means is stop getting rid of the word should or must in your language, especially when you're speaking to your partner. Think about it. When you tell people, you know what you should do? You know what you need to do? You know what you should do? Or, or telling someone they have to do something, they must do it. Or telling yourself that. Don't even get me started on telling ourselves. But we're talking about our communication with others right now. This kind of language immediately puts your partner on the defensive and gets you nowhere. As soon as you put your partner on the defensive, you're screwed, right? We know this. It gets you nowhere fast. So it's a complete setup for an argument. Now, you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again, that you don't want to sack your relationship. Don't want to sack the relationship. What does that mean? It means SAC. Don't want to sack your relationship. It means you don't want to give suggestions, offer advice, or criticize, right? Those are the things you never want to do. None of them work. You don't want to offer suggestions, give advice or criticize. I've said over and over, you know, you got to ask questions. So I'm going to talk about that at the end of this in just a few minutes. Um, But don't do those three things and you'll be fine. And that's really uh, part of the should language. It's it's always critical. It's always criticizing. Um, It's really, or it's offering a suggestion or advice, isn't it? You know what you should do? You know what you need to do? Either way, you're getting to that place you don't want to be. So again, take that out of your repertoire when you're speaking to your partner or anybody else. Nope, no more of that. Okay, my number five tip, my last tip today, my number five tip for how to change your language so you can have more effective communication in your relationship, drum roll. Number one was get rid of the all or nothing language. Number two was no more buts, you know, use the word and not but. Number three was nothing is good or fine. Don't use those words anymore. Try the scale of one to six kind of thing if you need to. Uh, number four was don't shit all over yourself or masturbate. <laughs> and the last one is no name calling. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. People, you cannot put this toothpaste back in the tube. You can't unring this bell. These words are like stabbing someone. The scars will always be there and nothing you ever say or do will change that. Plus, is this who you want to be in the world? Really? Is this who you want to be? Is this a... If, think about it. If this is a love relationship based on any time, any type at all of mutual respect, how does name calling ever, ever fit in? I really want you to get that this is about your lack of control. Nobody makes you do this. Nobody pushes you to do this. I don't care what the other person did or said. You have control. I don't think you do this to your boss at work. I don't think you name call them. 
it's not to their face, you are able to control yourself. Some policeman's giving you a ticket for speeding. I'm sure you're thinking a lot of stuff, but you're able to control it. You don't scream and yell at the cop, I'm assuming, unless you're really crazy. This is your lack of control and thinking it's okay. This isn't about the other person. This isn't about your partner. And you owe it to them to put on your big girl pants, your big boy pants, and cut that shit out. I I don't care where it started. I don't care if it's something that's always been in your relationship. It needs to stop now. This is the big harbinger of really changing your relationship. Getting rid of any of that. It's just, it's not okay. And it's not okay joking. It's not okay to jokingly call your partner a bitch or an asshole or anything else or a jerk. Just really, I mean, it would be such a rare thing to me to be able to maybe say that. It just really, if you think it will last 10 years of relationship and it got said once in in a joke, I'm going to let that go. But if it got said often in a joke... Um, if you can think of more than one or two times in the last 10 years, then that, that to me is a problem. Stop it. Just, just get rid of it. Just stop. You're here to love, honor, and respect each other. And this never helps. And these are things, again, that you can't undo. You can't, again, you can't unring this bell. And people remember these words. They really do. So keep that in mind. Okay. So before I end, I just want to share, So, because people will say, well, what can you do? And I've given you some suggestions here of what you can do. You can use the word and, you can do the one to six scale. There's things you can do. And when problem solving, I, I really want you to focus on asking questions and saying we instead of you as much as possible. Okay? So it's not, what are you going to do about this problem? What are you going to do? It's how are we going to solve this? Or how can we work together to make X happen? Or, or it could be, how can I help you with X so you know I have your back? That, that's a way you can use you, but that you are there showing it's a we. <laughs> you don't want to set up sides in a me versus you mentality. You really don't. I say it before. I'll say it again. A couple is one shared resource. This means if your partner's having issues, you're having issues. If your partner is unhappy or stuck in something, this affects your resources. So it's worth your time and energy to help create some workable solutions and strategies. This doesn't mean that they should just do what you suggest to fix it. When I say workable solutions, I mean something the other person can and will actually do. If you answer to them, I don't know, complaining about their weight is to tell them to wake up early every day and work out, but they've never successfully done that before, that's not a workable solution. That's not really workable. So remember, remember the no sacking. You're not giving suggestions or offering advice or criticizing. And so instead, the idea is that you're asking open, dialogue-stimulating questions so your partner can come up with some good answers to their problems. So they can figure things out, but know that you're there, that you are actively problem-solving with them. I, we used to say in, counsel, in the counseling world that uh, whenever you say you, you lose your audience. And that is true to a large degree. It, as you say you, you know, well, you're you, you, you know, all the you, it can feel blum, blaming or, or judgy to your partner. It can really feel like they're getting blamed for something or judged. And when you use words like we and our, you're letting partner know you're on the same team and that you have their back. And I don't know, in the end for me, isn't that's the number one reason I'm in a relationship. It's knowing I have that one person when all else fails who will be there for me. And I'm assuming that's what you want. I'm assuming that's what you're thinking in your world. So at the end of the day, 
Don't wait for a crisis to support your partner. Be there for them right now. Be there in it right this minute. And I think that's going to be it for today. That is the end of the, today's broadcast. I hope you found this really helpful. As always, I'd love for you to visit me at abbymetcalf.com and uh, check out the show notes, any downloads we're going to have for you. There's always some goodies around the website. So uh, stay in touch and please leave comments. Um, let me know what's working and what's not, what you want more of or less of, and I'll do my best to make that happen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Again, I really appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.